climate change is making it really, really hard to have even ripening of crops. It's just really hard because typically before we had a lot of weather fluctuation, you could cut the crops down and they could dry on the field and then they'd be brought in. But now if you leave, say, the wheat on the field like that, there's a risk of weather damage and then early sprouting and all kinds of things that can go wrong. So the ideal situation is to have a very even harvest with even field of equally dried out grains. And that just doesn't typically happen naturally. So to decrease the risk of losing the crop, they decided they could spray Roundup on it and kill off the crop all at one time. So that then when they go and they harvest, they haven't lost any of the crop and they can get it all in one big sweep in one day and harvest it all at the same time. But unfortunately, in doing so, glyphosate is a systemic herbicide, so it's not like you can wash it off. It actually goes into the food itself and into whatever the fruit is of the crop. Welcome to Nutrition Without Compromise, a podcast brought to you by Orlo Nutrition. We believe that nutrition shouldn't be an either-or, that you should never have to sacrifice your morals for your health or that of our home planet. Join natural products veteran Karina Belizzi and experts from around the globe as they discuss healthy solutions that are better for you and better for the planet. Welcome to another interview episode of Nutrition Without Compromise. I'm your host, Karina Belizzi. I'm sure by now that you've all heard of the plant killer herbicide, commonly referred to as Roundup. Roundup contains glyphosate. It's a chemical that was engineered to be sprayed onto plants, but that would kill common weeds. In some cases, it's even engineered directly into the food. You've likely heard that this chemical is generally a bad thing, but you may not understand why. You may not even understand how much of this chemical that you're exposed to or how you might avoid it. To unpack this complex issue and learn how glyphosate negatively impacts your health and that of entire ecosystems, I'm joined by the glyphosate girl herself, Kelly Ryerson. Kelly has contributed to several documentaries and news publications. She co-hosts The Morning Show on CHD-TV and is a frequent speaker on podcasts just like this one. She has a BA from Dartmouth, an MBA from Stanford, and completed training in integrative health coaching at Duke. She also serves as an ambassador for the Rodale Institute that we'll learn more about today. Kelly, thank you so much for joining me and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. It was so fun to have the opportunity to meet you face-to-face along with many from the Rodale Institute just this last weekend as we're recording a Terra Firma Farms in Petaluma for the Soil and Health Forum. So I feel like I'm fresh on some of this information. I just got the opportunity to see you speak and I'm thrilled to be able to share your knowledge with our audience today. So I'd just love for you to get started by telling us what made you decide to lean in so heavily to this work to combat glyphosate? Well, it's certainly not something that I ever anticipated spending my life on. I actually had a background in finance and business, and I was happy I just had children, and suddenly my health started taking a dive, and I just felt terrible, and I didn't really know why. And I had a lot of symptoms that you would connect typically to autoimmunity, but I wasn't really showing up with a specific autoimmune condition, which made it really challenging to figure out what's going on. So I was one of those stories that you hear about. Probably everyone has a friend or family member now that I saw tons of specialists and 
for me, the only answers they had were medications. And so I was layered with medications and not doing better, in fact, doing worse because of all the side effects. And then a doctor suggested that I try going gluten-free because she'd seen a lot of her, interestingly, female clients get a lot better when they had vague symptoms. And so I went gluten-free and I started feeling a lot better. And then I started eating organically and I felt a lot better and resupplementing my body with all the nutrients that it turned out that I was very much missing and was unaware that I was missing them. I'd just been sort of following the instructions of my doctors who, as we know, were not trained typically in nutrition or even just these basic fundamental supplements and vitamins and minerals that we need for our bodies just to work. So a little bit down the line, I learned that Roundup is sprayed regularly on our grains. And I was really shocked because the only thing I knew about Roundup at the time was that I'd seen it at Home Depot for sale and that horrifyingly a gardener had used it. I didn't know it was horrifying at the time, but a gardener had used it to just blow out my whole front lawn while I was pregnant, which is horrible because it turns out that's very toxic. But thinking about that being used as a harvest aid on our grains is really a shocking thing that you know, I think very few people know about. And, and so I just started digging, digging from there and trying to figure out the science and thinking, oh my gosh, why isn't anyone talking about this? And that was many years ago now, it was about seven or, or no, eight years ago. And so I named myself glyphosate girl because I was blogging. I went up to the San Francisco cancer trials that were going on that a lot of plaintiffs were claiming that exposure to Roundup had given them non-Hodgkin lymphoma and it made international news and it was a really big deal. But it was amazing because not much media was there to tell the story about what was happening in the courtroom, which shocked me because Monsanto, who is the manufacturer of the original manufacturer of Roundup, was finally under trial. And so many people hold Monsanto as the most notorious evil devil company of all times. And so I assumed it would be just packed and it wasn't. And I was like, oh gosh, I've got to write about what's happening in here every single day. And so I think it's because we're so terrified of having to sit through the tedium of a court case because that it's amazing how much time that takes, but we can be activists in the background and say, oh, Monsanto is Monsatan. I mean, so much so that now Bayer or Bayer who has purchased them, I mean, the Monsanto name is just not there anymore. Like we've just killed it essentially. In fact, that was almost comical because when Bayer came in and acquired Monsanto in 2018, like the next day they showed cranes taking down the Monsanto sign and replacing it with Bayer. <laughs> I mean, they knew they had a big, big problem with um, corporate image with that one, clearly. And so what do they call it now? Is it just, a, it's a roundup, right? Like still have it out there. Still Roundup. It's underneath the, um, so there's Bear Pharmaceuticals and Bear Crop Science. Mm -hmm. So Crop Science is their new wing that was formerly Monsanto. <laughs> Sorry, Crop Science. Okay. It's hard when you know as much as you know about the background when Monsanto was actively pursuing having it engineered into foods. So it wasn't just sprayed on, but integrated in, as was the case with corn, correct? Yes. So in 1996 was the launch of genetically modified seeds. And this is another issue that it's funny. I grew up, well, I, I guess I was a young teen when those were launched. And I thought, oh, this is really interesting. That's cool. Genetic modification. That's a great thing. And it's so notorious because the way that Monsanto marketed it at the time and our government marketed it is that it is so amazing. We're able to create so much food. People won't go hungry. This is phenomenal. 
And I was like, that is great. That's great innovation right there. But what no one was talking about is that this amazing genetic modification was so that these crops could be grown, sprayed with Roundup and not die. I mean, that was the biggest revolutionary thing is that more pesticides could be sprayed on the crops. Farming system, they were called Roundup Ready crops. So Roundup Ready soy, Roundup Ready corn, Roundup Ready cotton. And now it's over 90% of what we have in this country now is Roundup Ready. And actually not just Roundup now, because some of the weeds have out, I just love when nature does this. Some of the weeds have outthought glyphosate the active ingredient in Roundup. And so they become super weeds and they're really causing big problems for farmers because now Roundup isn't killing them anymore. And so they've made these crops now herbicide tolerant, these GMOs to up to five different pesticides and many of which are actually more toxic than glyphosate even. So it's just such a mess. It's ridiculous. There's no way out of it. Well, perhaps a more regenerative solution is afoot and we could get into a whole different conversation about that. But I want to talk about really why glyphosate is such a problem and how prevalent it is in our systems. So can you talk about what makes glyphosate in particular such a toxic compound and why it's something that we should seek to avoid? Yes. So glyphosate does so many different things to our bodies that the list is, it's almost entire, your entire system. And so I'll start with cancer just because that was the headliner. And it was very clearly connected to non-Hodgkin lymphoma in a multitude of studies. And that's what all these lawsuits were based on. And when regulators approve a chemical, they look for carcinogenicity. And there's a really foggy, very questionable past of glyphosate because originally actually the EPA said this is a carcinogen. And then mysteriously, some like back door kinds of things <laughs> or back room were some negotiations were made and suddenly it wasn't. It was no longer considered a carcinogen. So people are happily applying this with no protective clothing at all, and farmers included, but also homeowners, and they're getting cancer. And finally, the International Agency for Cancer came out. They are their own independent thing, so they're not tied to industry influence like the country regulators are, like our EPA or Europe's EFSA. And so IR comes in, they said, oh, this is a probable human carcinogen. All this research that's independent shows it is. The only research that's like showing it's not is mostly industry bought or paid for or submitted. And they weren't looking at those. So when you just look at independent research, that was showing that this causes cancer. And so that's how a lot of these lawsuits have been won. So we have non-Hodgkin lymphoma. It also potentiates estrogen. And so that has led for it being connected to breast cancer. And there are actually a variety of different fomas and other leukemias that have been traced in the as well. So those are distressing things. But then it gets even worse because even if you're not affected by that, by cancer, it very, very much is endocrine disruptor, meaning that it really messes with the hormones. And when this library of research, if you decide to dig into it in PubMed, I mean, I get the chills just thinking about it. I was diagnosed as being hypothyroid back in 2009. And I lead a pretty organic lifestyle, but I also travel on business and I eat out. And I think that it's important for our audience to understand the gluten and glyphosate connection because so many people say that when they stop eating a lot of grains, that their hormone issues seem to disappear or become lessened. And part of the reason it looks like if from what the science is showing is that we are consuming too much of these chemicals through our food sources. They disrupt our hormones and they also disrupt our microbiome. 
So we can't digest food the same way, just like they disrupt the microbiome of the soil. So the soil isn't healthy. And then we end up in this kind of cycle of just negativity where our health systems start to degrade. So by getting to more of a whole foods diet where you're eliminating these grains, you do better. And magically, if you do something like travel to Europe and add grain back to your diet, a lot of people who are gluten sensitive here or who seem to be sensitive to wheat report that, oh, I can eat pasta and bread in Italy and I don't get sick the same way and I don't feel as disconnected from my gut. So I think that this is the space, the intersection where we can help people understand in a real way where they can work to avoid excessive exposure to glyphosate in particular. What foods should we be looking out for? beyond just grains. Absolutely. So the grains definitely are the biggest piece. And going back to what you just said, it actually, Monsanto did patent glyphosate to be an antibiotic. And its impact on the microbiome is substantial. There are a lot of studies that have come out of England and out of China that are showing that it directly can kill off the good gut bacteria, including lactobacillus and bifidobacterium, which are really, when you're taking a probiotic supplement, oftentimes that's what it will be because those are incredibly important to the functioning of our body. And what's also distressing is that it doesn't have that same, glyphosate doesn't have that same effect on more pathogenic bacteria or the bad guys. (laughs) So it allows those to proliferate, but the good stuff is being destroyed. And so then you have a majorly dysbiotic gut, which as we know, is just tied to so many different health conditions and so much comes from the gut. And in terms of the integrity of our gut lining as well, what is called leaky gut, glyphosate has a role in that, in making that an even bigger problem. So you have the gluten itself, which is inflammatory in general, and then you add on this chemical of glyphosate that's known to be an antibiotic and to really destroy our gut lining. And that is just a really, really bad combination. And as you were saying, in Europe, I am an example of someone that I went to Denmark and I was able to have gluten and I was just fine. And they typically do not practice pre-harvest spraying there. In addition to that, their grains actually are not usually as industrialized as ours are. So they're more digestible. So just that whole picture over there. If you're committed to eating grains for the rest of your life, I wouldn't suggest doing it in the United States. I would move to Europe which is something I've thought about because I really miss it a lot. So yeah, those are really important things. And you know, when you think about that, glyphosate has done this to our gut biome, as you're saying, it's doing the same thing in the soil. So we have a situation where the soil is no longer holding all the organisms and the organic matter that we need for it to be real soil that can create wonderful crops that can sustain life that does all the magical things that soil can do. It's like the antibiotic to what we have going on in the soil. So it's really a mess. Well, every time you say antibiotic with regard to this, you seem to almost like stifle a chuckle because it's laughable. Like we're spraying something that kills microbiome on our produce and on. (laughs) Isn't that just nuts when you think about it? Just the fact that I don't feel like we're that rare now in understanding, like you and I are that rare in understanding that the biome is so critical. So it shouldn't be that far of a cognitive leap to understand why this is bad. And you would think that regulators or I don't know who, maybe even the corporations who are struggling with their own health 
might say, this is really bad. Like you wouldn't even have to prove necessarily that it's cancerous. Like it's going to kill your gut. You're going to die that way instead. Or you're going to have kids with, it's going to be shortened pregnancies. That's something that glyphosate can cause. It's been known to be an androgen. It does just so many causes non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and kidney disease. And these are all things, most of the time, those are just through dietary exposure. So as you were saying, so the grains are definitely the biggie. If you look at the various tests that Environmental Working Group or Moms Across America have done, typically it will be the grains that show the very highest levels. But it's not actually just grains, it's also beans, legumes. So hummus, it has absolutely the highest residue of glyphosate I've ever seen because the chickpeas are all sprayed, which is just so sad. You just broke my heart. <laughs> I know, I know. And you know what else is, so I was at a Whole Foods in New York and there were some tourists standing there and they were like, and, well, I mean, I was a tourist, I don't know, I'm following them a tourist. Anyway, we're standing there looking at the refrigerator and they're like, oh, this will do, right? Yeah, I don't think we need to buy organic for that. And I saw it go and I was like, oh no, you should buy that organic. If you're going to do hummus, you should get organic hummus. And they looked at me like I was crazy, but I was seeing this over 2000 parts per billion run through my head of glyphosate that's in that container of hummus. And it's just upsetting to see and knowing that that was going to injure them. But you also are going to find it in wine and in nuts and in various orange juice, like things that are grown in an orchard because glyphosate is typically used to kill off the weeds or any of the cover crops that are used in between the rows of crops. So between the vines and then the roots pick it up and then bring it into the fruit. So that's really disappointing because the taste can actually vary in wine depending on what pesticides were used because it's all picked up and it's brought right there to the wine. So it's kind of funny when you think about what something might taste like or what are you actually tasting? Are you even tasting that particular grape? Or are you tasting the glyphosate that's in it? Well, I think it's important to talk about here what foods you should really seek to always buy organic. Because if you've done all this research, I mean, I've heard strawberries are among the worst insofar as fruit, because again, they're sprayed, they're close to the ground. It's not as much space for the nutrients or pesticides that travel into the fruit and the surface of them is very porous too. But what other particular foods do you advise, even those that are shopping on a budget to just always go to organic? Yes, certainly, certainly any of the berries. They're really big ones to eat organically. Interestingly, bananas as well. You would think that they are probably okay because they have that nice peel on the outside. But if you've ever seen a video, as I unfortunately have, of what is done to those bananas in terms of being drenched with all kinds of junk, that would be another one to stay away from. I go back again to the grains. Just That's just a really important one. You can go ahead and you can eat organic grains and your exposure will be pretty low. Although when this testing is done, sometimes you'll see that some products that are organic grains or other products are do have glyphosate in them. And normally that's mostly because it's either in the water or it's in the air, so some drift, or it is because the manure that's used to grow and fertilize the soil where those crops were grown were, was actually taken from a CAFO or an animal factory where those animals are primarily fed GMO soy and corn. And so there's glyphosate that then they are pooping out because that's one of the major ways that they excrete glyphosate. So if you take that and then you put it on the farm, of course, then the crops are, are going to be picking up the glyphosate. Now, I heard another pesticide specialist once tell me that they're an organic farmer and they said, look, I don't know what we were thinking when we started to make pesticides that were water soluble. It was known for a long time that we would use fat soluble pesticides so that they didn't get into the water table and pollute to the point where 
they were now a part of our drinking water, essentially. So that's what's happened with like glyphosate and farming areas, right? It's so stunning to me that that expert was exactly spot on. Why would you ever have something that's water soluble or it's going to go wherever that water is? And most municipalities don't even test for glyphosate because it's considered officially non-harmful to humans. That is officially what the EPA claims is that there's no evidence of harm to humans and it's just BS. I mean, we have all kinds of evidence that there is. So that's another step that I do anyway. I use a water filter. And usually if that water filter has carbon in it, then that should be enough, a carbon filter to get rid of the glyphosate or really minimize the glyphosate that you're exposed to. And there are a lot of people who will reach out to me and are very concerned because their neighbors are spraying. Many people live in farmlands or even not farmlands. Just neighbors don't believe you when you tell them there might be a problem with it, which actually happened on my street as well. So what you can do in those cases is just make sure your windows are all sealed. Make sure everything's blocked off on that day. If you're extra sensitive or you're extra concerned, just get out that day from the area where it's being sprayed. And be sure you take off your shoes when you come into your house so you're not tracking it in for any reason. So between those things, that actually is a great way in terms of the environmental exposure. So you're doing that, you filter your water, and then you eat primarily organic food. And I'm not 100% organic because it's just impossible for me to do and have a social life. Mm -hmm. But I do feel it when I don't eat well for a bit and starts catching up with me. I know what it is, but you know, so go easy on yourself. It's stressful enough just having to make these shifts, but eating as much organic food as you can is the best. Right. And I say the same thing to my friends and community as well. Going out to eat as a treat, I don't do it as often as I might like to because I want to protect what I'm bringing into my stomach and my body, as well as those of my children. So we take controlling that a little bit seriously, because if you don't, then you can run into problems later. And I mean, there are some alarming statistics about even the health of our children and incidents of birth defects in areas that are commonly sprayed with these sorts of pesticides, other petrochemical-based pesticides, of which Roundup is one. But there's also other components to Roundup beyond glyphosate. So I know you spoke to that at the Soil and Health Forum. I'd love for you to share as well what other problems are with this type of chemical mix. Yeah. So glyphosate itself is never sprayed alone. It's just the most famous chemical within the Roundup product. So Roundup is called the glyphosate-based herbicide, but the Roundup is a formulated product. So in that formula, you have glyphosate, which is the active ingredient supposedly, but it's actually not the only active <laughs> in it. That's what they claim. But if you look on the label, it says active ingredient glyphosate. Next, is something called a surfactant, which is a soapy substance that allows the product to cling to a leaf or to whatever it is, and then allows the glyphosate to penetrate into the leaf or the skin or whatever it comes in contact with that is permeable. And the surfactant that we use in the United States is something called POEA, and it is incredibly toxic. This thing is more, I mean, a lot of people will claim that it's more toxic than glyphosate alone for sure, or maybe even glyphosate period. And what's disturbing is that the EU banned it a long time ago because it was so toxic. It wasn't allowed in anything in their country. And so they said, well, if we're going to have Roundup here, it can't be with POEA. And so Monsanto made a different formula for them without POEA, with a less toxic surfactant. And that's what they get over there. And meanwhile, the United States is like, oh, we don't care about that. Let's just bring in that more toxic Roundup as though we don't have enough issues. So that is in there, which is disturbing. 
then a French scientist decided he wanted to see exactly what was in this formula because he just didn't believe that was all it was. And so he tested the American formula for everything that was in it and shockingly also found a significant amount of heavy metals in it, including arsenic, which is so scary. None of these heavy metals have any business being sprayed on our food, I mean, or in our soil doing even more damage and then adding to the heavy metal load that already we have issues with. So that's also in there. So the combination of POEA, the glyphosate and these heavy metals is so toxic and it's the most used pesticide in the history of the planet. It's used all over the place. There's just no avoiding it. And yet that is what it is. So that is very disturbing. So one of the other reasons that there is just so much of it in our systems and our water tables and everything else is because of how liberally it's applied. And even when it's not needed as a pesticide. So you alluded to this already, but I'd love for you to talk about how Roundup is used, or glyphosate in particular, is used to make grains ready for harvest. Yes. So pre-harvest desiccation is what opened my eyes. I knew this before I even knew anything about GMOs. And what the farmers need in this time, this is what the story is. And I believe it. So climate change is making it really, really hard to have even ripening of crops. It's just really hard because typically before we had a lot of weather fluctuation, you could cut the crops down and they could dry on the field and then they'd be brought in. But now if you leave, say, the wheat on the field like that, there's a risk of weather damage and then early sprouting and all kinds of things that can go wrong. So the ideal situation is to have a very even harvest with even field of equally dried out grains. And that just doesn't typically happen naturally. So to decrease the risk of losing the crop, they decided they could spray Roundup on it and kill off the crop all at one time. So that then when they go and they harvest, they haven't lost any of the crop and they can get it all in one big sweep in one day and harvest it all at the same time. But unfortunately, In doing so, glyphosate is a systemic herbicide, so it's not like you can wash it off. It actually goes into the food itself and into whatever the fruit is of the crop. And so that's what it does with wheat. So then we have this big problem, the same with legumes and oats. And so then by the time it hits the mill, that's going directly out to the food producers. And then we're consuming it in a relatively rapid fashion, just still full of these glyphosate residues, all because of this pre-harvest spraying practice that is reversible. There are organic farmers that do not do this. So it is possible to do it without it. It's just a lot more challenging and you have to be a little more crafty about it. Well, the reason being if part of the field isn't ready for harvest and isn't dry enough, when they bale it, what happens? It will essentially start to mold, right? Get mildew. And so that becomes then waste and they therefore, they don't like that because then they have to only do small sections or can't do everything at once in order to produce their yield. So this is one of the reasons when I talk to people about their love of oat milk that they choose to get an oat that is non-GMO or organic and preferably both, and then they're going to be okay, but also make sure that they understand that there are added oils to that that come from seed oils, which can be more inflammatory. So if you're trying to address innate inflammation in your system, oat milk might not be the best choice anyway. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad you just mentioned that because there's a lot of confusion too. If something's non-GMO, that doesn't mean at all that there's no glyphosate. Sometimes the highest level of glyphosate is on things that are non-GMO. 
that non-GMO label is helpful to a certain extent. Like if you don't want to have GMO corn products or processed products off of from soy, from GMO soy, then then you're not going to get them if you buy non-GMO. But other than that, it can have any chemical really on there that's legal, which is just unless it's organic. It just can't be genetically engineered with glyphosate naturally in the seed stock, right? So that makes things a little bit different, but still, I mean, it's when we make our choices about the things we consume and put in our bodies, we need to keep these things in mind. Now, I wonder if you can talk about the situation we have presently with the ecosystems that are impacted by glyphosate being in the water that's running off into the rivers and into the streams and ultimately ending up in our oceans. Do you have any specific knowledge to what that is doing to our ecosystems, fish populations, etc.? It is highly toxic to fish. There's an enormous body of evidence that shows that glyphosate runoff into streams or, as you're saying, into rivers and into the Gulf of Mexico, all of that. But the Gulf of Mexico is collecting everything. So it's all the fertilizers and all the pesticides and animal waste and everything is coming down, down through the Mississippi River, down through Cancer Alley and out into the Gulf of Mexico. And that is a really horrible thing in particular because it's usually people of in socioeconomic lower socioeconomic levels that are living in that area and they're impacted by all this waste and don't have much of a say about their own livelihood or what should actually be happening. So just from a justice standpoint, that's really upsetting. The, certainly the aquatic population, in fact, the red algae has been that you may see on the news sometimes. Dr. Stephanie Seneff was talking about how glyphosate actually potentiates that red algae growth in the blooms. And I've had people reach out to me from Miami where they were having an enormous problem with that. And it's interesting because I actually saw a video of someone standing over on a dock with Roundup spraying it directly into the water to kill off supposedly invasive seaweeds, a species that they don't want to have in there. That's a thing. In fact, it's sprayed also in the Galapagos, just directly into the water. <laughs> it's just so incredibly unbelievable to think that that is okay and approved for use in that way. Because obviously, as we were talking about, it's water soluble, it's just going to go everywhere. And we know that it's toxic to sea life. So that is really strange. But Miami, I believe, banned the use of it in aquatic places. So thank goodness, because their red algae situation was enormous. Red algae and flesh-eating bacteria, which is also now thriving there. There's so many problems associated with these ecosystem collapses that, you know, we can't necessarily put a finger on until it's already a problem. And what we do see is there are declining fish populations in areas that are impacted with this type of runoff. One of the speakers at the conference that we both attended, the Soil and Health Forum, was near brought to tears talking about salmon populations and hoping that they return to some of those rivers. Now, I know that we look to these animals for healthy food sources. And I even recently connected with Simon Setra, who's a Norwegian investigative journalist. He wrote a book called The New Fish that is put out by Patagonia Press, in which he talks about the fact that in Norway, where they're farming salmon off the coast, they're also dumping all sorts of chemicals into these open pens to kill the sea lice. There's a specific chemical that's a combination called slice, which has one part antibiotic and also a toxic soup to kill the sea lice themselves so that the fish can survive. They still have something like a 25% or a quarter of the salmon population don't ever make it to market. They die in that whole process. And that the long-term effect of dumping all these chemicals and also of the escape of a weaker salmon 
is meaning that the wild population of salmon are just gone. And so he said, if you tried to fill pens with wild salmon, you could fill perhaps two or three. And there are thousands of these that are farming salmon off the coast of Norway. So if we think about that, it's a mindset, right? The mindset that allows for the spraying of glyphosate is the same mindset that allows for dowsing fish that you're growing for food with toxic chemicals that impact the ecosystem negatively and also that impact human health negatively. I mean, I don't know that there's a simple solution here. I will say that it's important for people, especially when they're looking to the things that they consume, to do their best to consume things that are whole foods, that are responsibly sourced. And when they're going to something like a supplement, that you're going to a source that you know you can trust too, that is going through the rigors of growing them the ingredients in the right way, that is going through the process of ensuring that these toxic chemicals aren't present, that is ensuring that their product is Prop 65 capable. Like (laughs) I'm seeing even popular greens products out there that have to bear a Prop 65 warning for cancer because of lead inclusion. So, you know, these are things that we should be aware of. It's also no surprise to me if we're spraying glyphosate (laughs) and it contains heavy metals like lead in there, that we're having an increasing problem of these toxic pollutants and ending up in our food sources that may not even be sprayed on again, because it gets in the water table. Completely. So here's a question for you. Do you eat seafood regularly? Not anymore. That's right. That's been a hard one for me because I come from the world of fish oil. I spent a decade building up a particular fish oil company with Norwegian roots. I even learned to speak Norwegian. I went to Norway a few times. I've seen the fishing operations there that aren't farming oriented and such a part of their culture and such a part of their livelihood and Scandinavia in particular, also in the Pacific Northwest. I'm from the Pacific Northwest. I grew up there and, you know, fishing was a part of culture. You'd go into the Rogue River and you'd go trout fishing, get your rainbow trout on. You'd go up to the Puget Sound and fish for salmon. And people aren't having as much success doing those things anymore because the wild populations have been and so decimated. But then in addition to that, if you buy the farm stuff, you're getting toxic soup. I mean, I've read enough about it now to be scared off of my love for sushi, which has been hard. I will still occasionally buy wild caught from regions that I know was sustainably sourced, but that question of sustainability is becoming increasingly hard to believe. So what do you do? Yeah. Well, I've been really interested just to see over the last 10 years where I would buy salmon, like sliced salmon in the refrigerator at Whole Foods. And a lot of the time now, I don't see any fresh caught. It's almost all farm salmon. The killer is that if it doesn't say wild, it is farmed. And there's simple ways that people are encouraged not to think about the fact that it's farmed. It'll say instead Atlantic salmon, or it will say Norwegian salmon. And these things make us think it's wild. But Norwegian salmon just means it's from Norway. It doesn't even mean it's a particular species. Atlantic salmon just means that it's a species, Atlantic salmon, and doesn't mean that it was ever wild. So I encourage people to check out that book by Simon Setra, The New Fish. It's the reason I now take more omega-3 from Orlo Nutrition, you know, responsibly sourced, grown from algae in the polar lipid form. So it's up to three times more bioavailable than fish oil in the beginning anyway. But it's been one of the most heartbreaking things for me because I really did enjoy growing up fishing and getting my rainbow trout and 
doing all of that. That is really sad. I spent my summers actually up in the Puget Sound doing fishing with my grandpa. So it's really sad that that's changed. Yeah. I mean, my son likes the idea of fishing and we got him a fishing pole. We've got (laughs) never catches anything. That's not as fun of a sport. No, but I mean, at his age, he's eight. It's all about getting outdoors and spending time with you and figuring out how to cast and things like that. So it's not as much about the end result yet. I would have a hard time killing a fish. That was one thing I always had a hard time with. But as it stands now, it's like there isn't that much wild fish to be caught, unfortunately. Oh, gosh. Now, that seems like something if we can clean up our act, we'll be able to reverse. I have hope on that front. Probably is going to take many decades, I would think. I don't know. I think it could be quicker than that, frankly. And it's the fact of letting our oceans rest because as an active scuba diver, I'm also visiting tropical waters. I'm here on the central coast of California. I dive the Monterey Bay. The Monterey Bay has pretty tightly controlled fishing conditions. You still see populations of, like I run into cuttlefish all the time in the water. You know, they kind of like hang out with you. And then there's plenty of rockfish and cod and things like that that are in the water. It's just an abundant ocean space. And there are still calamari fishers and sardine fisher that come in periodically, but it's so tightly controlled that whale populations come through every October. They're here really starting right around now. You'll see just hundreds of humpback whales that are slurping up the sardines and anchovies that are in the water. And we've even seen orca and some other species of dolphins. I'm forgetting Oh, Rizzo dolphins have, we've seen pods as large as a couple hundred now, which is kind of rare, but they're all returning because the sea life has rebounded and is doing quite well. And so if we get these things right, and if we're not farming off the coast in these open sea net pens that are affecting the ecosystem, then it can recover. If we control for runoff and you're not bringing glyphosate everywhere and it's getting into the water table and running off with your rivers, it can return to health. Deciding to spray directly in. Right. So that was astounding to me. I got the chills again then, like that negative creepy sense, like yeah, you're spraying a chemical directly. And it was the same for me when I started reading The New Fish by Simon Setra, just seeing they're dumping this in our oceans on top of the fish. I didn't know. So I could advise people to go and watch documentaries that are definitely shocking, like Seaspiracy or something to that effect. Yeah. But you don't need to do that if you don't want to. You can just read a little bit and learn a lot without having to visually see it. Imagining that a quarter of a fish population that is farmed simply doesn't make it to market was enough for me to say, absolutely not. I'm not doing this anymore. Oh, yeah. So that's good because that's the power that we have as consumers, right? If enough people understand this, then that is incredibly powerful. Because at the end of the day, it's about how much money are they going to make from it? Yeah, I still have a really hard time with saying complete goodbye to grains. I even actually took an Everly Well test to see if I had sensitivity to gluten, and I don't. I actually have sensitivity to quinoa and buckwheat. (laughs) That's interesting. Different proteins that are in different grains. So I've been looking to how do I go about, let's say, getting grain that is organic that I can bake with or cook with and make my own sourdough if I want to, have you got a bead on that? Like if you want to, as a United States American citizen, <laughs> go out and find grain to make your own bread. If you can't find the organic, how do you do it? Were you saying even if it's not organic or? No, I mean, how do you find the organic? Oh, how do you find the organic? So there actually are a bunch of small mills that are popping up. And I was amazed because even if you Google like there's small batch producers that are just these small farms. And a lot of the problem as to why we don't have more organic grain is just simply the 
area to produce it, or like there aren't enough mills to actually get it into market. So, but you're seeing these smaller mills popping up and filling that gap to be able to provide to smaller producers, like smaller amounts of organic grains. And then you can order from them directly. I mean, for those who eat gluten, we do buy just the store brand of, I probably should send it for testing, but we will buy the organic whole foods, organic wheat. Like Bob's Red Mill, something like that. Totally. Bob's Red, Red Mill. Uh, they Bob's did get in trouble for their grain a few years ago because they tested and there was glyphosate, but it was a tiny little residual amount. So there was a lawsuit actually against them for it, but then it was forgiven because it was clear that it was out of their control. So, but that was very nitpicky. It's not like it was some high quantity. Well, you have a brand like Bob's Red Mill that's been around forever and doing their best to do it right. They are the company that somebody wants to take down, right? It makes sense. For sure. That would be really nice for all the competitors. Well, as we record, Expo East is happening right now, and I'll just share a memory about Bob at Bob's Red Mill really quickly. There was one trade show I was at, I believe it was Expo East, when Bob came through with a marching band around the trade show floor, and he's like leading it with a saber kind of in the front, and they essentially have the drums and horns going behind him, almost like that Louisiana style. It was really quite something. And I did record it, even put it up on my personal YouTube channel, just because I was so amazed. I think I'll embed the video just so people can get a taste of what I'm talking about. There are a few leaders in this natural products industry that have a personality that deserves to be admired a bit and who've had their heart in the right place as they built a company that was pushing the envelope to change things so that people could have better health. And so I've always held that company in high regard because it hasn't been easy to build an organic grain company here in the States. No, it's really, really hard just because so much of the soil is contaminated. So that's a process trying to transition to more regeneratively produced and healthy soil and get there to get that organic stamp is a process for sure. He's been doing it. Yeah. Long before it was even considered a great idea. Like it wasn't on the map for people by and large. King Arthur Flower is coming along too. They're trying to do a lot of work to improve what they're producing, even on the gluten-free end too. So they'll be one to watch, I think. I love that. Well, those are a couple resources for our grain lovers out there. I will also say that we got to meet the Mendocino Grain Company, I think is what they were called at the Soil and Health Forum. So they're local to Northern California and they're operating as a mill for these smallhold farmers that are trying their best to grow regenerative organic grains and legumes. So I think they even had like a monthly subscription program that you could buy online. I was actually looking at it to see what do I actually what can I commit to producing? And what of my breads can I commit to making myself? <laughs> I know that's its own thing. Do you have a bread maker? No, I've always done things just in a cast iron pot, so to speak. So sourdoughs and country breads is really kind of what I've done. I like the hard crust. I know that is really good. <laughs> I miss that a lot. See, what I should be doing is going in and experimenting with all the organic different alternative grains and coming up with something great. That is time consuming. And with gluten sensitivities, it can be quite tough. I have a gluten sensitive friend who argues that sourdough is gluten free. And I just always had that question. So perhaps we could start this wrap up and you could answer that question. Is sourdough safe for gluten intolerant people? So if it is labeled so, it is not all will be just because of heavy cross contamination. But yeah, some of my very favorites are actually sourdough and 
Although, you know, then I am so excited to have what seems like sort of a normal bread. And actually, if you have a lot of sourdough, that is pretty rough on the stomach because it is so sour, you know, so I can only have that in limited amounts. But yeah, no, that is an option oftentimes for people. And also cornbread is a great alternative. A lot of times that is gluten-free unless they add flour, which is like, why would you do that? Now you just cut out all the gluten-free customers. But yeah, no, sourdough is a thing. That's a good thing to get into cooking, baking. Thank you so much, Kelly, for joining me today. This has been an awesome discussion. I would like to conclude by kind of summarizing resources for people so they know where to go and where to find you. I know you have a website as well as glyphosatefacts.com, correct? Yes, glyphosatefacts.com. So they can go there to further their education around this particular pesticide and how to avoid it. And they can also follow your Instagram at glyphosategirl, which I will be sure to include both of these with show notes. But are there additional resources or perhaps just some closing thoughts that you'd like to offer our audience? I think that it's really important to understand if you're just hearing about this or if this is something that concerns you so much that there are steps you can take to minimize your exposure. And even if you are not actively trying to detox from glyphosate, which is questionable if you even can there, you'll see a lot of marketing around detox glyphosate. Really, the best thing you can do for yourself is just start today eating as organically as possible. And those numbers will naturally come down in in your body. So no need to panic because you do have control over the situation. But be sure that you are using your consumer power to support all the farmers that are trying to do it the right way. And if organic is seeming expensive to you, there are ways to find options like at Costco or just buying things, ingredients versus packaged goods that are organic and start cooking yourself, which is a big pain for those who don't like to cook like me, but really important in order to minimize your exposure. Well, I love that. And we can find some really great products at Costco, as well as at your local grocery store and just look for organic labeling and see what your options are, even under store brands. So like in my neighborhood, I'm shop at Rayleigh's and guess what? They have an organic oatmeal. So you can go ahead and find that as opposed to the general brand that's available and you can avoid the glyphosate that would otherwise come with that. So, well, just thank you so much for joining me today. And I look forward to remaining connected. Perhaps we can meet again at another Soil and Health Forum. Perfect. Thank you. As always, I will be sure to include links to where you can learn more about Kelly Ryerson and her important work to get glyphosate out of our food systems, including the website that she runs, glyphosatefacts.com. That will be with our show notes on any platform that you're reviewing this content on, as well as with our expanded show notes and complete transcripts at orlonutrition.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe. And while you're at it, leave us a review go ahead and give us a thumbs up or a five-star rating. If you have ideas for future episodes that you'd like to see us feature, just go ahead and send us an email note to hello at orlonutrition.com or you can send us a DM at orlonutrition. Each of these simple actions, whether it be sharing this episode with a friend in your community that needs to learn more about glyphosate and other pesticides in our systems, or even just giving the show a review will help us to reach more people so that we can do more good. I hope that you'll join me today as I say my closing words. Here's to your health.
Thanks for listening to Nutrition Without Compromise. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to learn more, visit orlonutrition.com and join our mailing list. You'll gain access to complete show notes, features, and informative blogs because nutrition shouldn't be an either-or.